explanation if you can pay attention to uh, oh, it's not preaching in James. Uh, may not notice that till right now. I'm not preaching out of James after that. I'm preaching out of John chapter 14. I thought the explanation was due. Next week we'll get back into James chapter 4. And uh, but this is what's going on in my life. Um, in um, July, I'm going to Columbia, in South America, I Columbia, South Carolina, Columbia for a week. <laughs> To, uh, to meet uh, the World Reach staff and missionaries down there, going to spend a week with them, uh, get to know them. I'm already uh, friends with the young man who came on with World Reach at the same time I did back in, well, officially back in October or January. He, we, however, you don't think about it. But anyway, his name is Andrew, and Andrew and I have been going through this little gentle and lovely together on the Zoom conferences, and uh, he's just one of many people that I hope to. Be involved with their lives, and uh, he will probably be my translator when I get out there to teach in a Bible institute uh, in Medellin, Colombia. Uh, I'm hoping that's going to work out next year. But I'm going to, uh, that's in July and September, I'm going to back to Kenya and I'm going to teach uh, uh, in a Bible institute there. The very first class for 35 people, um, 35, thank you, Jim. I won't say everything that you just, you just missed it. Pretend like you heard it, okay? Um, but I'll be, there's a, the 35 young men that are going to begin a three-year trek um, to learn to be pastors and church leaders. Very excited about this, but I'm the, I'm the first guy out of the shoot for them. And they've asked me to do a Bible um, survey class. And I'm very excited because I'm, my main emphasis is how the Bible points to Jesus, all the things that we've talked about for 20 years. And uh, be, to be able to go, go do that for these guys, to set that foundation as they go through the rest of their training, it's rather intimidating. But uh, I've been working on that um, curriculum for two reasons. Uh, they want to use the same thing in South America. Okay, And I'll have a deadline to get that material to, actually I've missed it, I'm going to turn it in Tuesday, but um, they want to take that material and, and translate it into Spanish to be used in the institutes down there. And um, so I've been working on that feverishly to try to get this done. And, um, and I'm also trying to do this transition with World Reach, and I'm raising support, get your checkbooks out in case you haven't already. Um, and so I went to Decatur, Alabama last week, and um, my former church up there, and I preached. And before I went, they, um, they're between pastors, and they just, they just need help preaching. And uh, the guy said, I'm thinking, I could just pull one out of my sermon barrel. I've told you, many of you this already. But um, he said, well, could you finish the series on the implications of the resurrection? Could you preach on Pentecost? And Catherine and I looked at each other like, really? Okay, good. But you, know, you realize how complicated that is? We're talking about the Holy Spirit? Um, so anyway, um, that kind of took up a little time for me that week as well. So I'm trying to write this curriculum and write a sermon. And, and I just couldn't get James done. So I'm, you're getting a rerun this week, okay? But I hope it will be a blessing to you um, because that I'm old enough to know that when God throws curveballs in your life like that, that he's in charge. I really am believing that more and more as a child of God. And um, the stuff that I studied about Pentecost, we're not talking about Pentecost, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, but the things that I I've discovered... You know, things, the Bible, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. The older you get, there's things you never realize. But all those things that I studied to get ready for 
that sermon were helpful for this curriculum. And I'm going to use this curriculum, test drive it on you folks on Sunday nights. This is an advertisement um, with the Berthium Schroeder small group. I'm going to get your input and let you guys help me polish it up. Y'all help me. Ah, that, that's not going to work. And ask the right questions. I really do need you to help me do this. So um, I'm very excited about that as well. But anyway, that's why we're preaching out of John this week. Okay, in case you're disappointed, we'll be back in James um, July, uh, July. It's, it's, we got one more Sunday in June. But anyhow, I hope that made sense. Um, thank you for your patience. And please get your scriptures and open them up to John chapter 14, verses 16 to 27. This is God's word. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will, con- I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father. And you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God shall endure forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you make all these precious promises to us. Thank you for the promises in this passage. We pray that you would bless our time together as we look in your word for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Daryl Johnson has a book called The Trinity, Living in the Relationship at the Center of the Universe. It's a really good book. It's very down to earth. And you know, as Christians, we believe in the Trinity. We just made that profession of faith in the Apostles' Creed. Do you remember what we said? You believe in God the Father Almighty? Maker of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. We believe who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then the, at the end of the creed, we say we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in one God and three persons. And at the center of the universe, there is a relationship. It's always been about God, the one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's always been this perfect union between the members of the Trinity. Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, one God and three persons. The Trinity is the center of the universe. The Trinity is the source of life. 
And from all eternity, the Trinity has been involved, as C.S. Lewis says, in this eternal dance of love and pledge and commitment, invitation, a life, Romans 12, a life of honoring each other above themselves, preferring each other above themselves. The, the Trinity, the one God in three person is a community, one God, this great mystery, but to borrow a phrase from Paul that we use around here all the time, for all eternity, the Trinity has been living the life that is truly life together in community. They've enjoyed the righteousness, peace, and joy of God's kingdom. Trinity is a deep subject. There's not a lot you can say other than that. But if you can't explain the Trinity, that ought to encourage you because you don't want to worship any God that you can that you fully understand. He's inexplicable. But the mystery of the Trinity drives us to worship our true God, one, one God in three persons. You see the Trinity throughout this passage in John. And today we're focusing on the Holy Spirit, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And as, as you know, on the day of Pentecost, um, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on his apostles, and he, he poured it out on these devout Jews who were visiting Jerusalem from all over the Mediterranean area. You remember the story? And you remember what happens. And I think we get so discombobulated, we get so confused with, with bad teaching, and, uh, and we ought to think about good teaching about the gift of tongues. We need to, we need to understand those things. But we get, so, we get so tied up in that, and we go to 1 Corinthians, and that becomes like the main thing, conflict. We miss the main point of Pentecost. We, we just miss it. But it was this miracle when God gave, Jesus pours out the Spirit, and these apostles and these, these men from all over the Mediterranean, these Jews, they heard the gospel in their own tongue, their, their natural tongue. They heard the story about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the apostles told them the gospel. Why? Was it just so they could, were, you know, this cool event where they spoke in tongues? Well, there's a lot of, it's the reversal of the Tower of Babel, all those things we're not going to go into today. But they told these folks the gospel so that they could go back home and relay the gospel message in their own language, in their native tongue, in their own synagogues, in their own communities. They took the resurrected Christ, the news of the resurrected Christ, back to their own people. And they told them, and would tell them, that God had fulfilled all of his promises that he made through the writers of the Old Testament. God has fulfilled all. What he said he would do. His kingdom has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And today I want to point out three covenant promises that God fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. That you see we can allude to in this passage on the Holy Spirit. Where Jesus talks about his coming. Three covenant promises that enable you and me to live in that relationship that is at the center of the universe. So what are they? Well, um, you know, whenever I get an opportunity to talk to somebody about... But for lack of a better phrase, spiritual things, right? Unseen things. You know, that's what Grant and I do. So I hope you're doing that too. Uh, as you talk to people that you have these deep conversations about unseen things that are real. But here's a question that I've, I've learned to ask people. 
um, in the past few months. And it's a good way to get them to describe their relationship with God. I say, what is the one word, I've, I've, you've heard this before, what's the one word you would use to describe your word with the Lord, with God? What's the one word? And we like to play that game. Sum all this up in one word. Nobody, you can't do that. But if you had one word, what would it be? Are you thinking of an answer? Put it away and I'll tell you if it's, if it's the best one in just a second. Look at verse 16 to 17. I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and He will be in you. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. In verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. If you go back and you pay attention to the prepositions uh, that John uses, it's, it's, that's a good exercise. Uh, he's, he's using these prepositions over and over again to describe your relationship with the one God, the apostles' relationship with the one God in three persons. Look again, verse 16. The helper will be with you forever. End of verse 17. He dwells with you and will be in you. And then verse 20. Jesus says, He is in the Father and the disciples are in Him. And Jesus is in them. Now this is mysterious language. It's, it's, it ought to make you, what? Right? What is he talking about? But you know, John is just being like Paul. And if you're going to understand John or Paul and your relationship with Christ, you've got to pay attention to the prepositions they use. And, you know, for 20 years, I've told you this, and many of you, I know what he's about to say. I hope you know what I'm about to say. That the Apostle Paul uses his favorite phrase to describe you as a Christian. His favorite phrase to describe any Christian is that you are in Christ. That's deep. It's a mystery. But you have been, your life has been joined to the triune God's life through Jesus Christ. It's not just something you guys out there and you're here. No, you're joined together. And mystery gets deeper. We are joined together as the body of Christ. If you pay attention to what's going on in the body of Christ, if you have developed, you've developed relationships in the body of Christ, you're going to see God's wisdom poured out in your life through your brothers and sisters. All kinds of mysterious things happen. But we are in Christ and wonderful things happen because we have been united to Jesus Christ. And the, the best place that, that Paul uses this, and the most probably the, the, the pinnacle of his mysterious language about union with Christ is in Romans chapter 6. He says, For if we have been united with Jesus in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. And Paul is saying this. He's saying, when we look to the cross, when we look to the death of Jesus Christ in our place, when we ask God to forgive our sins because Jesus died in our place as a substitute, and Jesus lived his life as a substitute for us. He lived the life we cannot live. He perfectly re reflected God's image in the world. Yeah, that's what Adam was supposed to do. 
But, and then, after he lives the life that we should have lived, he died as our substitute. And he lived in our place, and he died in our place. So here's what Paul is saying. When you believe the good news of the gospel that God forgives you and accepts you as his child, and when the Holy Spirit persuades you to believe the gospel, you can't believe this unless the Holy Spirit persuades you and teaches you, moves in your heart, gives you the very ability to have the faith to believe it. But when you believe... The triune God in His grace has united Himself to you. You know, we share in the very promise of His life when you believe those things. God has basically fulfilled His great promise. I will be your God. You will be my people. I've given you life in my Son. And so here's what I want, here's where I want to land the first point. When you consider the gospel... You know, that same gospel that was spoken in the native tongues of the visitors in Jerusalem, that first Pentecost. I think the one word that you, we should use to describe our relationship with God, the Father, God, the Son, the God, the Holy Spirit, that mysterious relationship with God, the one word would be union. So what did you, what did you think? Did you think grace? Did you, did you think unending? Did you think love? All of those things um, would fit in the category of union with Christ. You know, at Pentecost, God pours out the Spirit to proclaim the good news that sinners like you and me, we're not just forgiven of our sins, but we can be united to Jesus Christ by faith. You know, we are forgiven. We are accepted. But we now live with Christ in his kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy. And God will be with us forever. That's the first covenant promise that the Holy Spirit reveals at Pentecost. The triune God is with us. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will unite my life to you. And again, this isn't just some, something on paper that you, you know, some transaction... Some contract, like you're buying a house or something. You know, when you buy a house, you don't, you're not united to that house. It's, it's well, maybe you are. You've got to pay for all the repairs over the time, right? But you, you, are, you are in that house, but it's not really in you. When you receive Christ as he's offered in the gospel, God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. God the Father lives in you. They dwell with you. What do you think about that? Is that important to you? Is it important to me? It's, I will be your God. Your God. I will be your God. You will be my people. There's that beautiful union we have in Christ. Secondly, what's the second promise that the Spirit fulfills at Pentecost? God fulfills that promise where we are united to Him forever in Jesus Christ. Well, what happens to you when the Holy Spirit unites His life to yours, to the life of Christ to you? What happens when, when God unites His heart to yours through the gospel? What, 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 what happens when you share in the life that is truly life? What does the Old Testament promise? How does this, this union affect us? Well, let me, let me start the second point with another question to think about. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but this is, um, this is important to, to remember. Uh, and the question is, what is God's primary purpose for your life? What's God up to? If he's united himself to you, what, what is he doing? 
What's he doing? He is at work. Yeah, we know that. But what's he up to? Well, God is a goal setter. What, what's, what, is, what is God's great goal for your life? Well, Paul answers that question in Romans chapter 8 when he talks about the Holy Spirit. He says the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So the Spirit wants you to know over and over again what God's will is. He is praying that God's will will be done in your life as it is in heaven. And so... What is, what is the Spirit praying for? If He knows what God's will is, what is, he, what is, he, what is this great purpose that the Spirit is praying about? Well, you have to keep going uh, in this passage. And it's, He says this, And we know that all things work for good. God works for good for those who love Him. All things work together for good for those who love God and who have been, who have been called according to His purpose. Those he foreknew, those God foreknew, he predestined, here it is, to be conformed to the image of his Son. That we might be the firstborn among many brothers. We've heard that phrase, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That is true if you are a Christian. That is a wonderful plan. What, what could you want more than to be like Jesus Christ? One day you will be, body and soul. You have a glorious body like Him. Your heart will be like Christ. You'll never be Jesus, but you will be like Him. You know, God created Adam in His image. You remember that? Uh, his purpose was to fill the world with other image bearers who would spread the knowledge of God's glory everywhere in the world. That, that was God's intention. He, he's always wanted to fill the whole world, the whole world, not just part of it, with people who love Him and love other people. And we, we saw when we preached through the book of Revelation, one day the new heaven and the new earth will be, the Jerusalem will, new Jerusalem will come down from heaven and we will, the church, people who are in heaven now and those who are, who are here now, will all be joined together and Love the Lord forever and ever in the new heaven and the new earth with glorified bodies that never get sick or die. Right? I mean, that's, that's important to me. I hope it's important to you. Some of you know, well, new bodies and all that. I got my Medicare card. Yeah? The more I think about this, uh, this, this is nice. Glorious body, glorious heart, living forever, doing all the things we enjoy with God. And what, that's, this is important stuff, right? God wants us to enjoy the righteousness and peace and joy of His kingdom. He wants us to spread that throughout the world. That's, that, was, that was what Adam was supposed to do. That's the way it's going to end up. Adam was supposed to do it, but he failed his mission. He was more interested in his own glory than God's. He, he failed to love God as he should. He failed to love his neighbor, it was Eve, as he should. He failed to protect her. He should have said, no, this is what God said. And he should have said, Lord, help me drive this serpent out of this garden. He didn't do that. In other words, he did not keep God's commandments. He did not reflect God's image in the world. And that's why Jesus comes. That's why God sends the second Adam. He's the true, the better man from heaven, the better Adam. 
the one who's fully God and fully man. We were talking about that in the inquirer's class. I mean, there's a lot of mystery in the Christian life. Why do you, Romans 7, why do you do the things you don't want to do? And so forth. And then sometimes you do the things that you don't want to do, which includes, I want to do the wrong thing, but I'm going to do the right thing. You've got this tension in your life. The Bible's full of tension. But the greatest tension is who Jesus is. The Trinity? But, come on, a person who's God and man at the same time? Wow. He must be worthy of your worship. Jesus, the good news is as the God-man, He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the image of the invisible God. The exact representation of His being. And as the image of God, because He is the God-man, because it took God to be a man without ceasing to be God, He lived out that eternal union of the Trinity. That humility of honoring others above Himself as a man. Did He not do that for you and me when He went to the cross? He loves God with all His heart, soul, and mind and His neighbor as Himself. And there is no greater display of His love than Him giving His life for His friends, for His brothers and sisters. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life in that new heaven and that new earth with Him. God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. In other words, God sent His Son to the cross for us because He loved us with that eternal love of the Trinity. And that means Jesus goes to the cross, not just for us, but He goes to the cross to honor His Father, to obey His Father, because His Father loves us. And He shows His love for the Father by giving Himself for us. He gives Himself for His neighbor. That's you and me. He loves the Lord, His God with all His heart, soul, and mind, and His neighbor as Himself. In other words, in His death, don't think about image of God like this. But in his death, Jesus perfectly reflects the image of God. As the God who loves, as the God who is humble, who prefers others over himself, who gives himself as a ransom for many, who lays down his life in humility for his friends. But Jesus doesn't remain in the tomb. Are you awake? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Jesus was raised. God raised him from the dead. But why did he do that? Why did God raise Jesus from the dead? Death could not hold him. He's the Son of God. But God the Spirit raises him. The Spirit raises him because he was the perfect image bearer of the Father. And so God vindicated Jesus because he lived this righteous life. And when God raised him up, his body was transformed. He has now today has a glorified body, a body that's never going to get sick. A body that will never get sick. A body that will never die. He's the first fruits of this new creation. Uh, He's the first man of a glorious new humanity that he includes us in by his grace. He is the true and better Adam. 
And because of Jesus Christ, this true and better Adam, millions, millions of people are going to enjoy God's life with him in the new heavens and the new earth forever. But there's even more than that. It, God has united his, us to him some by faith, but those promises are at work in us now. All those promises and the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in the lives of Christians. We have, we, we're going to have glorified bodies and, and sinless hearts one day, but right now, right now, right now, we have new life in Jesus Christ. Right now, even in this present evil age. And so what does that look like? You know, what should you expect of your life as a Christian? You know, you know, we bear God's image more and more as the power of Christ is at work in us. Here's where you go back to John 14. How does this fit in? Well, Jesus says in verse 21, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And you could put it this way. If you love me, you'll bear my image in the world. You'll bear my image in my power. You'll bear my image in the world. When you reflect uh, God's power the most is when you are obeying Him in your life. And that's the second point. All that's just to get to the second point. What does God promise in the Old Testament? To write His law on our hearts. You remember that from Jeremiah? He's going to give us new hearts. He's going to write His law on us. On our hearts. So if we love Jesus, we will keep his commandments. Now, have you ever noticed this, that when preachers, I was talking to some folks about this beforehand, about, you know, preachers love to motivate you by guilt. It never works. It works for a while, but it's, it's not true motivation. Guilt, uh, guilt motivation is false motivation. It's, it's just, it's a lie, basically. But some people use this verse like a club. You know, we're going to motivate obedience. We're going to motivate image bearing through fear. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? Or if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's not the heart of Christ. Do you know Jesus like that? If you do, you don't know him well. Jesus isn't threatening you in that verse. And and yes, we, we ought to look at our lives and ask ourselves, are we loving God well? Are we loving others well? Are we keeping God's law? Are we reflecting his image in the world? Those, those are healthy questions. But none of us bear God's image perfectly in this age. We are all struggling Christians. If there's a non-struggling Christian in this room, please stand up. You wouldn't do it because you've got too much pride just like me, right? You're not going to... I'm not struggling. I don't want people to think that. We're all struggling. We're all struggling. And this here's where John Newton has, has some comfort for me. He's got comfort for you. Uh, he has this quote here. It says, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And here's a question for you. What, what is your main goal in life? What, what is it? What is it? What's, what's your main goal? What's your primary purpose?
Is it that you would glorify God more in your life? Yes, that should be it. In other words, you should be more and more like Jesus Christ. That should be your goal. It should be my goal. Because God has written His law on our heart. You know, John's, John Newton's words there are very encouraging to us. Uh, he's honest. He's one of the most honest pastors in the history of the church about the struggle of the Christian life. But you know why he had such confidence? It's because he knew God's power in his life. He knew that it was God's power that sustains us even in our struggle. God's power unites us to Himself and God's power sustains us in our lives as Christians. John Newton knew John 15. This is the very next chapter. What is, the, what is so important in that, that beautiful chapter? It's the place where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. John Newton quickly would acknowledge that he struggled as a sinner, as a Christian. But he also would point you very quickly to this verse about Jesus Christ. You know, this verse is so critical. So critical. And, and Jesus is saying two things in it that you, that you should never forget. The main thing he says is, in the whole chapter, you know what it is? Without me, you can do nothing. That's the, that's the gist of it. it that's, do you see how that... Ties up with vine and branches. He's saying, hey branch, without me, you're nothing. And Jesus is very clear. And, And at Pentecost, he sends the Spirit to write God's law on your heart. But he knows that you can only obey God in the power of Christ. That's why Paul says in Philippians, the fruit of righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. It's always from Christ. In other words, in John 15, Jesus also points us to the motivation for our obedience, for keeping God's law. He says, if you remain in my love, you will bear much fruit. And Jesus says, again, the branches never bring life to the vine. The vine in union with the branch always brings life to the branches. He, he's saying your job as a branch is simply to live out your union with Jesus Christ. That's the one job that you have. Sometimes we don't do it well. But our job is to go back and remain in the gospel. That is to remain in His love. And that means by faith what does it mean? We still believe God's promises. That He what? What does God still promise you? And this is the third great promise of the Holy Spirit to Christians at Pentecost. What is it? I will be with you. I will write my law on your heart. But here's the third great promise. It's this. I will forgive you. I will forgive you. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive your sins. And the Holy Spirit, and we talked about this in Sunday school, what does the Holy Spirit do? What's His favorite thing to do? It's to point you to Jesus Christ. Yeah, you've done this. Again. Look at Jesus again. Look at Jesus and His grace again. 
That's what the Spirit does. He does it over and over and over again in your life. If you're here today and and you realize, well, God has made that promise to be my God. He's written His law in my heart. But you have become cynical about your growth as a Christian. Anybody in here like that? You become stagnant in your image bearing? Maybe you know for sure you are not obeying God's commandments. Let me encourage you, first of all, two things. Number one, don't take credit for realizing those things. (laughs) Our tendency is to suppress the truth, even about our failures. If you realize that you are not bearing God's image, if you realize that I'm I'm cynical about this Christian life, this, this growth in Christ, if you realize those things, it's because the Holy Spirit's work, working in you. It's the gift of the Spirit. He's been poured out in you. If you realize you're not abiding in Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit is at work conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. He's moving you to repentance again today. He's graciously working in your life so that you can repent of your sins and truly live out your identity, the life that is truly life as a child of God. So if, you are, if you're stagnant in your walk with Christ, thank the Lord that He has made you aware of it. But secondly, as you come to this table, as you take this bread and as you take this cup, repent of your sins. Repent of things that God brings to your mind. But, but don't just stop there. Say this to Jesus Christ. Lord, without you, I can do nothing. You believe that's true? <laughs> He's, we, we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you believe that is true? Without Him, you could do nothing? Do you ask Him for His help in your struggles? As you take this table today, as you take this cup, as you take this bread, say this to the Lord. Lord, without you, I can do nothing. And I'm taking you again in my life today. Fill me with your spirit. Remind me of your promises. And help me to live the life that is truly life. Help me to live in the life that is at the center of the universe. Who wouldn't want that? And it is yours as a free gift. Come to the Lord. Confess your sins, but receive His grace and mercy. Let us pray.